Hello and welcome to the Simple Faith Podcast, the show all about authentic Christianity for normal people like you and me. And if you're new here, we're doing our very best to strip away any unnecessarily churchy or intellectual words and present our faith, the the Christian faith, in as normal and down-to-earth a way as we can. And at this point, we've covered a whole breadth of things from an overview of the Bible to suffering and depression and grief and how we discover our calling from God and what the Bible teaches about things like divine healing and tattoos and cursing and much, much more. My name is Dave Betts, and I have the really exciting privilege of being the host of this show as we explore all of these things together. But I have some really important news that I I would love to share with you. And it's this, the Simple Faith podcast is coming to an end. Shreya, my wife and I started this podcast right at the beginning of COVID. In fact, we'd moved from the UK to Canada literally the week before the lockdowns began on one of the very last flights out of the UK. And Uh, The following week, we started the show, and there are lots of reasons to start it, actually. We love helping people learn about God and the good news of Jesus and what the Bible teaches about various things. We, We really do love it. But we were also really excited about the opportunity to work together on a project that gave us an opportunity to learn together, study together, and grow together. And to be honest, it's been really awesome. We've loved it. Our non-negotiable target when we started was 50 episodes. We knew that we had to get to at least 50 episodes before we even contemplated stopping, and we made it. But here's the problem. Pretty much as soon as the podcast started, we found out that Sheree was pregnant, and in December, our incredible son, JJ entered our lives, which is amazing. But naively, we thought that Sheree would still be able to keep hosting this show with me. But with the lockdowns and screaming babies that don't quite nap exactly when you want them to, it's just been really hard. In fact, it's been almost impossible. And considering that working together was one of the main reasons we started the Simple Faith podcast, this really isn't ideal. You know, there's some other reasons as well. On top of that, I started studying again for a master's degree in theology, which takes up a little bit more time than I expected. So uh, with all of that stuff, with us looking after a baby, working on a church restart in Canada during the days and with a master's degree in my spare time, uh, I've had to get up at like 4am to write and record these episodes. As we speak, it's like 4am. And to be honest, it's not sustainable. Something has to give. And sadly, the Simple Faith podcast is it for now. So the question is, what does that mean? It means this. Firstly, we're going to finish this church history series. We want to finish it well. And and today we're going to look at the Reformation. Uh, Next week, we're going to look at church history from the Reformation period to the present day. And then in three weeks, uh, we'll dedicate one last episode to celebrating all of the good things that have come out of the last year and a half of the Simple Faith podcast. So that's the first thing. The second thing is that this is not a definitive end necessarily. Lord willing, we'll be back one day, perhaps on the other side of a master's, perhaps when the kids are a little older, who knows? Um, There's there's actually still about 100 episodes of planned material that we'd like to cover. So we'll just have to wait and see. We'd love to continue it if there's an opportunity. We'll see what God does. But with all that in mind, I want to say thank you, truly. Thank you so, so much for sticking with us. We've been so amazed uh, at the support we've received consistently over the last 18 months. And we're so grateful. We'd love it if you would stick with us right up to the finish line in just a few weeks. But first, let's talk about the Reformation. (laughs) 
Last week, we saw how Rome had fallen from the powerhouse that it once was, and from its ashes, Europe had arisen. The Pope had gained huge power, and there were all sorts of uh, other power struggles going on as kings and popes tried to figure out where the ultimate authority really lay. And it was messy, for sure. One of the things that I forgot to mention last week, which was actually kind of a big deal, is that in 1054, a few decades before the Crusades, the Eastern Church, which we now know as the Orthodox Church, split from the Western Church, which today we call the Roman Catholic Church. And this is all known as the Great Schism. The Great Schism. So there's a church split of epic proportions, followed by a disastrous period known as the Crusades, where the Pope declared a holy war on the Muslims in the East and even promised blessings and forgiveness of sins for soldiers who fought in it. There was all sorts of stuff like that, just messy, horrible, evil stuff. And then after the Crusades, there was even more of that sort of nonsense, like even three popes for a while. We talked about that last week, not to mention the fact that they were starting to execute those who they believed to be heretics, which, spoiler alert, isn't exactly biblical. So basically the church at the end of the Middle Ages wasn't really a shining example of what Jesus had called his followers to as the body of Christ. And people were starting to realize this. Now, The challenge here is knowing exactly where to start as it's all so messy and there's so much that we could cover at this point. There had been rumblings of change through people like Peter Waldo and the Waldenses, uh, but perhaps the, the best place to start is with John Wycliffe. So John Wycliffe was a leading Oxford professor in the 14th century who believed really that every believer was equal in the eyes of God. So we refer to this idea today as the priesthood of all believers. Basically, that there aren't people with special connections to God that other people don't have access to. For Wycliffe to argue this was a really huge deal at the time as it kind of ran contrary to the teachings of the Roman Catholic Church. Not only that, but he also argued that the English government had a divine responsibility to correct the abuses of the church. As you can imagine, the Pope wasn't really a big fan of his teaching, but Wycliffe was okay with that. Christ alone, he said, is the head of the church. And so he would declare this and there were rumblings, there were waves beginning to form. And there was one more thing that tipped the boat as well. If you've listened to our episode on communion, you might be familiar with this really churchy term, transubstantiation. And what a word, transubstantiation. And it's basically the idea that when we take the bread and the wine together in communion, The bread and the wine literally become the body and the blood of Jesus. We don't believe this today, but most Catholics still do, and they certainly did then. And Wycliffe attacked this idea as well, and he gained some pretty powerful enemies in the process. But he also found considerable support. One of his supporters was a man called John Huss. So John Huss also began to preach against the papacy, and as a result, he was excommunicated, in other words, he was booted out of the church and the people at large were starting to grow restless. And while Huss didn't help things by rightfully criticizing the Pope's policy of letting people pay to have their sins removed, he said, well, this is a problem. This, it was called an indulgence and Huss's open criticism caused him to be imprisoned and eventually burned at the stake. And apparently, as he was burned to death, people could even hear him singing psalms the whole time, which is kind of amazing if you ask me. I think that's uh, just an incredible story. So these first two, John Wycliffe and John Huss, made some pretty significant waves. But there was someone else who was coming, a man called Martin Luther. And with Martin Luther, those waves would kind of turn into the tsunami that we know today as the Protestant Reformation. 
Martin Luther was born in 1483, and in 1505, there was an incident in a thunderstorm that really changed his heart towards God. And two weeks after this incident in the thunderstorm, he joined a monastery. He spent more than a decade as a monk. But after 10 years, he was reading the book of Romans one day, and he came across Romans 1.17, which says this, For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. The righteous will live by faith. He realized something pretty huge and contrary to the teachings of the Roman Catholic Church. He realized that we aren't saved by our own merit. We can't earn our salvation. We can't earn our way into the kingdom of God. The only way that we can be saved is by trusting or uh, having faith in what Jesus accomplished for us in his death, in his resurrection, and his ascension. And this is a, a serious, faith-alteringly huge deal. Um, it's sometimes referred to as justification by faith. And it was a real problem for the Catholic Church because if you believe that this is what the Bible teaches, which we do today, it means that priests forgiving sins and selling indulgences and things like that is is unnecessary. But the problem was, this is the foundation of the Catholic faith. So by 1517, there's this guy called John Tetzel, who's going around Germany trying to raise money for St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. And uh, he would go around and declare this, as soon as the coin in the coffer rings, the soul from purgatory springs. Well, I mean, there's so many issues with that. So he was saying, basically, as soon as you put money in, the soul that you want to be released from purgatory into heaven will be released. And that's crazy. I mean, Martin Luther was furious when he heard that because it's just not biblical. So he writes something called the 95 Theses and he nails them to the door of the castle church at a place called Wittenberg. And as Bruce Shelley puts it in his incredible book that I've mentioned numerous times already, it's called Church History in Plain Language. Uh, he says this, this was the spark that ignited the Reformation. You see, a line had been drawn in the sand as Martin Luther stepped up and nailed the 95 Theses to the door. Or as we say in the UK, things were about to kick off. John Wycliffe and John Huss had made waves for sure, but Martin Luther caused a huge storm by nailing the 95 Theses to the church door at Wittenberg. It led to Luther having a debate that lasted for over two weeks with a guy called John Eck in 1519. Just imagine that, by the way. 18 days of debates. That's crazy. I get tired after like an hour of debates. And if you're anything like me and you get caught up in maybe unnecessary political debates and things like that, you'll know that is a long time to be debating anything. And Luther declared something new in these debates, and it was unheard of at the time. It was that the Bible alone was how we understand our faith. Traditions and declarations from the Pope don't matter if they're not found in the scriptures. This was huge. So Martin Luther found himself in this pretty intense position where he faced the full might of the Catholic Church and questioned quite a significant number of their practices. He was excommunicated, he was kicked out of the church and probably would have been burned at the stake if it wasn't for someone called the Prince of Saxony at the time taking him in. And Luther began to translate the New Testament into German at this point and those waves were beginning to become more fierce. You see, the revolt against the abuse of the church in Rome grew and spread and people wanted a reform of the church, hence why this period is known as the Reformation. And 
Luther, by the way, was by no means perfect, especially in his later years, but his courage to stand up for the truth of God's word completely changed the world. This battle between what would become known as Protestantism, you know, people who protested the Catholic Church and Catholicism is one that would rage on for centuries. And there are periods where you could be killed for standing on what was perceived to be the wrong side of the fence. So this is a, a serious issue, a serious battle going on. Well, by 1525 in Zurich, Switzerland, the city council told all parents that they had to have all of their babies baptized within eight days of being born. Otherwise, they would be banished. Can you imagine that? You have to have your babies baptized within eight days or you will be banished. It's crazy. The Catholic Church basically saw baptism as similar to circumcision. It was that kind of deal. You know, you do it when you're really young and it's an act of uh, dedication to the Lord. But, you know, more change was coming. As Martin Luther pushed for the beginnings of the Reformation, Conrad Griebel and Felix Mance subverted even more Catholic doctrine by teaching their followers that baptism should be the result of personal faith in Jesus and not just a ritual performed on a child. And if you're unfamiliar with what baptism is, feel free to check out our episode on it, by the way. We did an entire episode on baptism. And guess what? The Catholic Church opposed this, calling them Anabaptists, which means rebaptizers. And suddenly the Anabaptist movement was born. Now, you might not have heard that phrase Anabaptist, but you might be familiar with the term Baptist. Well, the Anabaptists rejected that title. They rejected it because they felt that the first baptism was never legitimate in the first place. So you can't call us a rebaptizer because we're only baptizing for the first time. But anyway, from this period in history, we'd get the Mennonites, the Hutterites, the Baptists, and so on. So it's a, a really big deal. This shift was huge. And there are so many specifics at this point. But for the sake of time, we'll have to breeze past them to another pretty influential figure in the church, a man called John Calvin. Now, John Calvin was born in 1509 and is perhaps one of the most prominent leaders in the Reformation, along with Martin Luther, of course. And his central teaching was really focused on the sovereignty of God. Again, if you're unsure about what that term is, check out our episode. We've got a whole episode covering the sovereignty of God. And you might hear people today talk about whether they are Calvinists or Arminians. And well, that's because Calvin had a really profound effect on our understanding of theology. And in 1536, he wrote this incredible work called Institutes of the Christian Religion. So you've got these really important figures that, that have spearheaded the Reformation. You've got Wycliffe and Huss in the early days, ignited by Luther and Calvin. And during this period, there's a realization, a slow realization that the Catholic Church had really missed the mark on quite a lot of things. So uh, first of all, the fact that they looked to more than just the Bible as their source of information, the way that they viewed baptism, their teaching around communion, the fact that they accepted payment to forgive sin, the fact that they taught that you were saved by works and not just by faith, and even down to the organizational structure of the church. And now the Protestant Reformation is, is really huge in shaping the church that many of us listening to this podcast would be part of today. At the same time as all of this, you've got people starting to translate the Bible from its original languages and Latin, which the common folk couldn't read, into native languages. So William Tyndale, for example, writes some of the first translations into English. And at the same time, King Henry VIII has his many wives and eventually declares the king as the head of the Church of England, which we know as the Anglican Church today. And after him and after the short reign of his son, Edward VI, 
Bloody Mary hits the scene and she takes the throne and she was a devout Catholic and moved the country back towards the Catholic faith, apparently even burning like 300 people at the stake in just four years. Then Queen Elizabeth would come. Queen Elizabeth I, she would take the throne and try to find this middle way between the two faiths. So there's a lot going on during this short but intense period. There were already two dominant forms of Christianity. There was the Roman Catholic Church in the West and the Orthodox Church in the East. But as a result of the Reformation, the Roman Catholic Church had split again. Now you had the Catholics and the Protestants. And the Bible was translated into a bunch of different languages. And by the end of this period, we have the beginnings of the Lutherans, the Baptists, the Mennonites, the Anglicans, the Puritans, and even the Hutterites, and probably some other uh, denominations that I've missed. And, and if, if that wasn't already enough, at around this time, Christopher Columbus lands in the Americas. The Europeans find new trade routes to the east. The Portuguese are exploring the southern tip of Africa and connecting with India and China and beyond. The world is changing in a really profound way. So by the end of the muddy period that we know as the Reformation, the world has profoundly changed. It's easy to look at you know, all of the different denominations today and, and really forget that actually people died fighting for the truth of the word of God. In fact, if you're feeling really brave, there's this incredibly famous book called Fox's Book of Martyrs that talks about uh, some of the people who died for the faith. And it's, it's pretty grisly, but it really helped me personally to appreciate the enormity and the reality of the fact that people died so that we could have freedom and have the freedom in our faith that we have today. And so this is another short episode that I hope you found really helpful. It's hard with something so dense to know exactly how much attention to detail to give it. But I want to go deep enough that you can get a good sense of what happens in the Reformation, but not so deep that we start losing all the different people and different events that are going on. So I hope this is helpful. Next week, in our second to last episode, for, for now at least, we're going to look a little bit at the period between the Reformation and today. So if you have any questions, as always, don't forget to send us an email at simplefaithpodcast at gmail.com. And maybe you can just send us a comment or a thought or anything. Simplefaithpodcast at gmail.com. We love to hear from you. But otherwise, that's it from us today at the Simple Faith Podcast. Have an incredible week and we will see you again very soon. <laughs>